0: Hello and welcome to Seize the GM. If you're looking to get started GMing, we're here to help.
1: And if you're a GM with a few levels under your experience belt,
0: we are here to help you find your prestige class. Let us take you through some common questions, concerns, and the fun challenges that every GM will face.
1: We have our ideas, our opinions,
0: and some might even say answers that we want to share.
1: So pull up a chair.
0: Dust off your dice. And let us help you seize the GM.
2: Hello and welcome back
1: to Seize the GM. It's good to hear you, or perhaps I should say in the passive voice, it's good for you to be hearing us.
0: Yes. Please be excited. Yes. That's... (laughs)
1: Excitement must commence.
0: (laughs) The beating or corrective measures will (laughs) be taken.
2: (laughs) Yes, friend computer.
0: You know what? One of these days we actually ought to record ourselves playing a game of that because that'd be freaking hilarious. I shoot him. Yeah, we're troubleshooters. That's what we do.
1: I shoot you. Those of you who don't know, we are riffing on Paranoia, which is a fantastic game. I'm certain we have discussed at one point or another, but if not, tell us on social media to give us an excuse to make a Patreon recording to talk about the joys, glories, and indeed different editions of Paranoia, in which friend computer is your friend.
2: Oh, that would be so yeah, it would.
0: fun! Nudge, nudge.
2: <laughs> yeah, we should totally do that. <laughs> But that's not what we're here to talk today about.
1: No, today we are continuing our uh, kind of denouement with the Eden ship and and looking at, if you've been following along, the past however many months worth of episodes that have created a campaign setting, a whole world in which you can have adventures, and how to make them happen.
2: Uh Uh-huh, and... So last episode we kind of finished up with that like first adventure, you know? And and now, you know, of course you ask yourself, what is that next step? Well
1: that next step would
2: be a campaign. Can... Is it though? Yes.
1: <laughs> yes. Hopefully. Well, Hopefully. That's what we're that's what we're talking about. Hi, I'm Morger The answer is yes. <laughs> Everything after your intro what? is a campaign. Have you not seen my binders?
2: Oh, oh, I have. I have. You, have. you have sent me photos of binders. But it could be the next thing. It could also be that you run something maybe a little longer for an adventure. Like, you know, that first adventure is kind of usually feels more like a one shot to me. And then maybe you go with something that's maybe a little bigger before you dive right into a campaign.
1: But, but I think we need to, to discuss how we are conceiving of these campaigns and, and what they look like. Because I feel like what you were describing is really a big chunk of what I refer to as Act 1 of a standard campaign structure. <laughs> is that how you do it? It is. Well, three-act structure it makes it easy.
0: It's the it's the whole theater thing in you, dude. It's... Yeah. And... <clears throat> I... The thing is, like, for me, though, I, I kind of have a... I, I, I don't even kind of do it with the three-act structure, even though... Mostly because I know 90% of the time everything's going to go off the rails. So I have the... Here's the beginning. And here's <laughs> kind of what would happen at the end. It, it's pretty much, you know, it's like, okay... Start the timer, and at you know, four days and three hours and 27 seconds, uh, this event will happen, kind of a thing. So, whatever the heck they do in the meantime, I can't really set because, uh, unfortunately, I, I, I don't know if it's because all my friends have ADD or and I have ADD that we have this really random stream of consciousness, kind of a thing. That, as much as I love watching stuff in a three-act structure. We can't adhere to it.
1: Well, I think I, I think there are ways to do it, and it makes sense when I put it together. And in preparation for this very recording, I may have put in, in like in the past, I don't know, hour, um, put about eight hundred words down of, of a rough campaign structure. If you'd like to see that, you should go to Patreon, <laughs> as we will be putting it up as a Patreon exclusive on, on exactly how that works out but for me the three act structure gives a lot of freedom because what i've got are are two particular turning points because act one is a stage setting situation it's episodic kind of but it's got a lot of the monster of the week sort of feel there are different things happening and maybe they're connected by nothing more than a theme. Maybe they're connected by what you want a larger aspect of a campaign to reflect. But they highlight different parts of the world, and you get to see which parts the players kind of jive with more, where their vibe goes. But I make it a point to create Act 2. Some, something happens. But for me, Act 2 throws a wrench in the players' plans not the characters necessarily, but the players and thrust them into action one way or another where it's not within what they expect their characters' day-to-day activities to be. That They get put in scenarios they weren't ready for as players, not necessarily as characters, to kind of force role-playing in response to the world. And this is not about taking away agencies. It's not about reducing the efficacy of any characters, but it's about breaking the monotony of settled gameplay. And yeah. in, in in the big boy of the TTRPG universe, or let's say the forebearer and from which many of these things descend, Dungeons and Dragons, there are often considered three pillars of the game. Act 2 is where I make sure that the least used pillar becomes the one that has the focus for some of that time. If there's a bunch of combat and politics role-playing that's gone on, exploration needs to take the, the front and center. If, if there's been loads of hex-crawling exploration and, and people are just having fun, well, there's going to be a gauntlet of combat that shows up. And that shift, knowing that we've set the stage with Act 1 being the usual way things go making them act outside of that for act two comes with the promise that they're going to get through that and act three goes back to something closer to normal Uh, heightens from my experience both the player buy-in to the campaign and the world and the gm's fun so that it breaks monotony on both ends and of course act three is is climax confrontation a little bit of data moments where wait now it all makes sense. It was you all yeah.
2: along. <laughs> yep. But I'll talk more. Yeah, no, that's a that's a good way yeah, to I'll do it. I'll talk more
1: about that a, a little bit later in the episode. But also, like I said, I, I put together ooh, had to be 750, 800 words worth of just here's probably two pages of a campaign structure for the Eden ship. Uh, and hopefully those of you on the Patreon will read it and tell me what you think. And uh, maybe we'll turn it into something more than just a rough outline.
2: Yeah. Yeah. How do you, See, yeah, how do you
1: structure it? What's Because then Jules and I have been kind of going and I want to give you a chance to talk because <laughs> um, I know I can talk a lot.
2: <laughs> okay. So I have a couple of different I refer to them as types of campaigns, even though they're really not. It's just the way that I structure them in my head. And so the first one is that there's like a bigger story arc that focuses on kind of a smaller section of the overall setting. You know, maybe in in the ship, it would be like maybe one or two of the sections would be the focal point for the entire arc. Now, this is kind of how a lot of traditional, in air quotes, um, campaign settings for other games are kind of done, where they're kind of focused on like a smaller subset of the overall campaign setting, we'll say. Um, And that's most of the ones that do you know, big campaign setting type things. That's usually how it works is they do, they may do like anywhere from six to, you know, 20 adventures that are all taking place in this much smaller area so they can really kind of dig into it. Now that's, like I said, the most common one. It's easy to do. That's why people use it. Um, now another thing that I've tried, I've tried this before, it's harder to do, but it is where you have, it appears that there are just a string of unrelated kind of adventures that are not necessarily part of what appears to be a big overarching idea. And you can totally do that where nothing seems to be, you know, connected and it's all just kind of monster of the weeky but you do that for the entirety of it. You know, it's not really done <laughs> because it's it changes the expectations of the players because it can go all over the place. You're not bound by one area of see the ship that you're like, oh well we're only gonna deal with things that happen in the command section. We're gonna do, you know, maybe one adventure there and maybe another adventure in the the printing labs and another adventure in, you know, the the bio section of the ship and, you know, just all over the place. And they don't necessarily have to tie together to be considered a an actual campaign because it's the players and the characters that are what make it a campaign. And those stories, while they are smaller and not necessarily connected, they'll create their own connections between different things. And I think that's kind of a an unused way of doing things. Now, the old, old first edition D&D, that was a lot of what it was like, where you would have a, you know, this adventure here and then this adventure here and this one over here. They were never really connected, but the connecting tissue were the characters themselves and how they got from section to section. And then there's another idea that I've toyed around with. Oh, really? And <laughs> Yeah. Now, what this is, is it's actually mini campaigns between like four to six sessions. And that wraps an arc that is part of a much bigger, cohesive story that's being told.
1: Kind of anthology. And it's
2: not. Kind of, yeah. And you could just swap characters even in something like that because it would still be the whole overarching story, but done in like short story form. Um, if anybody has ever read the original Shadowrun anthology that first came out, that is an example of that every single short story aside from the very last one are all bits and pieces that all coalesce with that last story and unless you realize that you know at the very end you realize it but prior to that you had no clue but that is a cool way that you can do something like that where it's like all of these like mini arcs with completely different characters sometimes. And they all, you know, mesh together because as the GM, you actually have a bigger story that you're telling, but they just don't realize it yet. And it's a it's a neat way to to tie all of that together. I think it could be done really coolly. I would love to try to do one like that, where things are done like some of my favorites in, too. In many... what's really yeah. fun
1: with that kind of style is you can set it up across different gaming groups or different yeah. campaigns by having you know different characters separated in time, ending up interacting with different aspects of Of
2: something that may have happened yeah that's and getting something that's happened before or
1: work and into campaign two oh one theory
2: yeah that is that is a big jump but yeah now which of these is the
0: best (laughs) all right the 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 way i usually do things and i don't know if you remember the books when like when we were kids the choose your own adventure books Mm -hmm. well the thing is is i i kind of handle running a campaign kind of like that it's you know it's like okay uh, making a choice kind of closes the door, and sometimes on you know other choices that you would make, but it doesn't mean what was going on on the other side. I think we lost somebody. Uh-oh.
1: Let's keep recording. <laughs> if you hear this, that means there was no post where we uh, fixed the fact that Zen has dropped out, while Jules is telling us all about how she sets up her choose-your-own-adventure structure.
0: <laughs> Yeah, because the thing is like I, I have kind of the the idea of uh where I want the story to go, you know, where it's starting and where it's ending, but how they get there, they're gonna have to make the choices on how to do it. So it's like, okay, do you go down this unlit corridor or do you use bolt holes? Um <clears throat> are you going to sneak into the security offices uh to get the key or are you gonna brute force a door? You know, so the thing is, it's like they have to and usually in the very, very beginning of a campaign, it can get really, really kind of, um, you know, the the, the group really hasn't gelled together yet. So usually having them like kind of collaborate, make the choices, stuff like that, it, it forced them to kind of like talk it out you know, in and out of character. And, you know, over a couple of games, you kind of start to see them gel as a unit, gel as a group. And that's, you know, and then once you see that, once you kind of see what their, you know, it's like, what what's their penchant, you know? You can kind of see what their penchant is. And uh, so... You know, it's like, all right, if you see, like, you know, it's like, my gosh, every, it's like, what the heck is this? We've got Errol Flynn, we've got the Dread Pirate Roberts, we've got, you kind of like, okay, they're going to kind of go for something flashy and dashy. Okay, it's like, cool, you get a couple of things that's stuck in your back pocket that kind of feed into that. Or if they are, it's like, ooh, political intrigue, political intrigue, you're like, ooh, okay, you get a couple of those in your back pocket. You see what they like to do. So, you know, as they you kind of figure out what type of choices they're going to make, <clears throat> you can kind of craft the next scene, the next setting, the next set piece that kind of feeds into what they like, and you can start pushing them into the, no, not really pushing them, but you can kind of have it set up. So, okay, this this is the next choice they make. This is the next choice they make. But when you're doing that, all the choices they didn't make and the consequences there don't you know, it's not like, okay, cut that off at the timeline. Those things are either happening in parallel or in series. Like, okay, they don't restore the power. Okay. That means that the power is still out in that one area, you know? But, you know, they're not really going to have a heck of a lot of insight into it. So, you know, the... So the players might ask is like, dude, it's like we didn't turn the power on. I wonder what the outcome, well, you know, what the thing was. And you can have them look it up, but they can't fix. You know, it's like you as a GM are omniscient and omnipotent. And the players usually have a much uh, better chance of seeing a big picture, but the characters don't. And they gotta re- and you gotta remember that every choice has ripples on. You know the entire story. Some are really subtle. Some are huge and no overt. And the one big thing I'd recommend uh, for everybody doing is uh, is I call it. Uh, like I get uh, Zippy has put like a teeny weeny uh, pocket notebook, and he calls it the book of consequences. And, you know, both positive and negative. So if your players make a choice or do something that would probably have a surprising effect um, or may be able to lead into something or you might be able to use that to kind of like drop a hint without being an overt hint. You know, it's like uh, they, they've just, you know, you've just restored power to back to the medical section and. You know, you see a kid and he's clutching his puppy and, well, his dog. Um, And you tell him, it's like, oh, dude, I'm sorry, kiddo. I know you're sad, but your dog was a hero. He's the bravest boy. He was a 19-year-old dogger. And he ran and got the med stuff to your dad's room. You know, he he died a hero. And maybe that makes the kid feel a little bit better. So when a horrible incursion happens and you're hiding from, you know, mind-controlled security you know, the kid might remember that and point to some bolt holes he's been using to scuttle around the ship not being seen. Or if you yank a portable power generator, you know, for that emergency section, it's like, well, it sucks now that the couple of storage places don't have power and you can't see crap. It's the book of consequences, positive and negative. There's no real big, you know, issue with having fallout of choices. It's, if you've ever played Fallout New Vegas, you know it's just like okay, you're upping your reputation with one side, the other side ain't gonna like you, and there's not much you can do about it.
1: Well, and it, it's it's kind of similar to some of the ways I approach things because how exactly PCs revolve the challenges isn't that important to me. I'm not worrying about the specifics on how they overcome obstacles. I, Mm. They're, they're they're players. They're they're going to come up with something,
0: and usually not in the way you thought.
1: <laughs> exactly. So I'm not going to waste my time trying to figure out the one true way to overcome an obstacle. I'm I'm going to you know, be a GM. Yeah, but I keep track of the motivation of the world and the antagonists, mm-hmm. and that reaction is something we've talked about a lot on sees the GM in previous episodes. Is you know the fluid campaign response comes from understanding the the actions that not the PCs are right. taking.
0: Yeah. it's And the thing is, like, every every character, PC or not, you know, their action, it, the world isn't static. It's a drum head. So the thing is, like, there's going to be ripples. There's going to be sounds. There's going to be changes uh, with everything that does happen. But the the thing that usually I like doing is, like, after, like, the first couple of sessions, you know, at least try and keep a little bit more generic until I feel what the group is coalesced into. So, if they're they're playing the whole bunch of super-duper sci-fi nerds, it's like, okay, you're going to have a lot more fun in engineering. Or if they're, like I said, very swashbuckly, you know, going on away missions, doing the... It's like, you know, it's like, I will still, you know, still keep the story going, but craft it so let because they like being swashbuckly let them be swashbuckly you know rescuing somebody it's like but if they want to go covert and you know sneak in and hack the computers cool we could still set it up like that or the other one is just like a have rogue and it's like why are you holding a sword he's like so my Frankie gets you with the blackjack behind what pop
1: well and from a macro level when i'm looking at those campaigns i, I try to keep the setting in the world in mind you know, for the Eden ship, I would default to most threats being interior. But the fear of the unknown from the exterior of the Eden ship is something I would actively cultivate for larger, longer campaigns. The question I think we've worked a lot of, of kind of material into are things like these aliens and what what is or isn't impacting the Eden ship from outside. At the same time, for a post-apocalyptic setting I really think it's important for the player characters to be in a moral quandary they need to be in a grey area that forces them to make hard choices like the trolley problem like the lesser of two evil scenarios more so than classic fantasy more so than superheroics. heroics mm-hmm. they, they fit in a lot of places but that overarching theme for post-apocalyptic settings with scarcity, with limitation on resources, with having to make hard choices, is something I, I actively try to engage in designing campaigns and, and how the characters interact with the world.
0: Yeah, and the, and that's the the smart thing. The thing for me, I guess, it's it's not it, you know still engaging with the world, but sometimes you know it's like even if they are we always know that person that is a, a helpless and hopeless optimist rolling yeah. eyes. Um, <laughs> uh, I'm an, I'm an nihilist, So, but the thing is like, even though that's like, yeah, we're, it's like, no, nah, we're not using bullets. What are you doing? It's just like, okay, we got a whole bunch of spare parts in a sock. Yeah. It's. And so they're still being able to do some of that. Scares- them, and I, yeah, and put, I like that.
1: Putting them in the tough situation doesn't mean stomping on them. They, they, Again, like I said, how they resolve it isn't what's important to me, but putting them in the scenario where they have to face it is. And I kind of built that into the campaign design for that Eden ship. In Act 3, it's got you know the classic, we're now going to draw the curtain back. Secrets are revealed. What's been going on? Did you figure this out earlier? And it's set up to ask some questions that the, the characters might not be as sure about the direction they were heading when they go into it. Mm-hmm. And that's something I like uh, to work with. I like to question the player's assumptions through the game as well.
0: Yeah. And I, I guess that's kind of like the, the, the fun thing is like also it's like with every choice, with every decision that, your players make and then your NPCs make and the rest of the ship makes in response to it, you know, it's like the captain might hear like a, a valiant bravery, you know, a last stand kind of a thing or this and that, the other um, you know, give them commendations. is like, okay, great. Now they're expected to act a certain way and none of them like doing it.
1: <laughs> well, I guess this is our last chance to let the ghost of Zen uh, kind of interject anything else. <laughs>
2: What? No, I was totally here the whole time.
1: Uh, Fix it in post, Mikey. Uh Yeah,
2: I love my internet service right now.
1: Well, is there anything else you want to add before we kind of transition to closing remarks other than we have whole campaigns behind the Patreon wall?
2: No, not really, because there is, you know, we've kind of each talked about you know, what we see as campaign stuff. And this is, you know, like the idea behind like campaign design and the thoughts by lots and lots of people are, you know, they're all over the place. And campaign design is one of those things where there is no... Best or right answer. It really kind of depends on the group that you have. Because if your group is all in for this huge, massive, multi, you know, part, like nine months of playing this, you know, one story arc that you're doing, awesome. But if you have people that are just like, I can't commit more than you know, six sessions to a character before I have to change things. You know, that's a different type of game and a different group of people, that, you know.
1: Well, and it, it goes back very importantly to knowing the system and the game itself. We've talked yeah. a lot over the years about how different systems lend themselves to different kinds of stories in better manners. And knowing what kind of story your system lends itself to matching that axis up with the axis of what your table enjoys is going to inform that campaign design. And so the best campaign design is at the intersection of what the system and setting do well and what the table wants to play.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Basically that's, that's the long and short of it.
1: I like words. I am good with words.
2: (laughs) Well, but it's, it is, Lots lots of people talk about it, and their their thoughts and ideology on why they design campaigns in certain ways, and those are all well and good. But you start. still have to deal with the people that are sitting at the table.
1: Yeah, you've got to start <laughs> from that that intersection. But yeah, before this spins off into an entirely different topic, yes, <laughs> which it was about to.
2: Yeah, but we can dive more into that if people would like to hear more on that. But
1: Uh, find us on social media. Let us know if you would like to hear more of our discussions of how these things interact and also just more of our voices in general. All of the social medias are out there. We are on most of them, though, whether we really want to plug a specific one right now, it's completely up in the air depending on the state of the world. Look for Seize the GM. Go to seizethegm.com and you can find handy links for all of us.
2: Yes. Mm hmm. Indeed.
1: One of these days, I will record all of that on a preset and just hit a button.
2: That would be awesome. We probably need to do that. <laughs>
1: But it's so much fun to do cold reads and do this off the top of my head.
2: I know, right? But then we <laughs> always forget things.
1: I so, haven't forgotten anything.
2: Uh, well,
0: well, we've seen your list. There's no wonder. What,
2: what about the? What about the? What What other things are behind paywalls?
1: We already if, talked if people, about that.
2: If people don't want to use Patreon, though,
1: they can find ways to send us coffee. <laughs>
2: Very good All right guys so
1: enough yet yeah, enough jibber jabber Zen on our way out before we go completely <laughs> off the rails even more than normal <laughs> right What commendations do you have for the fine listening audience out there?
2: Okay this is something that I am going to be doing here very soon and that is taking a break from things and unplugging. You know, like from all of the electronics, as well as the things that you do kind of as a GM on almost a subconscious level, sometimes you just need to take a break from things for a bit and reevaluate where you're at, what you want to do, and where you think you should be going.
1: Or just getting out of your head out of the rat race for a little bit. That's true, mm-hmm.
2: too. So, yeah. I I have been um, doing some very serious contemplations about things, and I I need to basically take some time to unplug from everything for a little bit. So, that's why I'm saying everyone should do it at some point. Jules, what you got? <clears throat>
0: um, I, I came across probably one of the most interesting RPGs. It's called Inspire Isles uh, by Hatchlings Games. And everyone that knows me, they know I, I love little fears and, and kids on bikes and stuff like that. And it has that kind of a same feel, but uh, you, you play what are called Pendragons, uh, the descendants of Arthur and Guinevere. And there is a dark energy called disbelief and that you have to battle and banish it, so you can restore their. Uh, okay, it's World Tree, not Erd Tree. I've been playing way too much Elden Ring, but the cool thing is though, uh, you learn the the how you do the magic is ASL and BSL, and <clears throat> it's probably one of the coolest things. And they actually have a whole bunch of video tutorials uh, performed by uh, they actually uh, coordinated with. Uh, a a a professional a deaf professional on how to do sign language how to do it without being like uh you know appropriative she worked with them on the development of the uh of the game and and the magic system there and i thought that was really cool and there's you know they put up a whole bunch of videos on how to do the signs and what they mean and stuff like that and it's Really cool, and it's like okay, deaf awareness. When I was growing up, one of my closest friends was severely hearing impaired, so I learned sign, so we could make jokes, and they were hilarious. Because oh my god, you have no idea how you can punster; it's great. <laughs> but the the thing is, I'm like, okay, that's probably one of the coolest ways of, you know, incorporating it. And I was just like, okay, all right, and they and they did it right. They they actually consulted professionals. They consulted people that are gamers in the deaf community. What stuff do they come up with? That I'm like, okay, that's freaking brilliant. Yeah, yeah. You know, and I, it's... I've had
2: them on my radar for a while now.
0: And the thing that I and the the, the thing that I do like is that you know it, it's it's not okay. It's not a kiddie wink game, and it's not like it's like you no. Know, this is kind of like you know all like sitting around and all playing like a board game together kind of like a family fun kind of a feel so it's like all ages kind of a thing and you know it's yeah i usually like a turn for the dark more but for something like this i'm like i i really like what they're doing i i like the people that are are doing and then you know it, it it I was really, I was really touched. I'm like, Hey, this is really cool. And I bought the game and I bought the PDF and stuff like that. And I'm like, all right, I can't wait to try this. And he's like, Oh yeah. Uh, he's like, Oh, don't forget to go. He-. And the, the, the guy created the game designer said, Oh yeah, by the way, we have uh tutorials here on sign because it's like, sometimes like looking at a picture doesn't help, but he's like, okay, here's a character sheet. Here's some cool stuff. We got that on a website. You can download that for, I'm like, Dude, that was really cool. You know, he didn't have to give me that info, but it was yeah. really nice. So I had, well, I had a, I had a blast.
1: Before we completely get out of there, I'm gonna commend unto you exercise and movement. In the northern hemisphere where we're located, it's coming towards through spring, and and it's been pretty easy to hibernate. Our bodies need some attention. Do as much movement as your body tolerates, or it jumpstart an exercise regimen now if that's your jam. One way or another, remind yourself, even if Descartes confounds your existence, feeling like the world is real, real helps. So move your body a little more than you might have been planning to, if it's able, and find a, a kind of part of that, taking a break that Zen was talking about to, to help uh, kind of manage this transition from a uh, winter to spring in our section of the world,
2: right? Because that's a thing. <laughs> uh,
0: and here's the thing: I'm going to recommend folks doing is like as you, if you're getting up and getting moving and you're going outside and you have allergies, put on a mask, put on something, just you know, bandana, dorky thing to cover your face. I've got a, I've got a uh, Sub Zero mask. I do because pollen. It is going to be coming. Make sure you have it. Because well, it's kind of hard to do a nice walk, you know, down in the park when you're sneezing every couple of seconds. I'm doing that as a warning because I forgot to do that last year and I paid for it. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I still wear masks. You know, normally. So.
1: But
2: that's that's neither here nor there.
1: <laughs> Speaking of other conversations and different things, yeah. for now, it's been great talking about campaigns with everyone, and hopefully you will be hearing this in a comfy, convenient space soon.
2: Yes. So, until next time, folks, have fun.
1: Roll some dice.
0: Play some games.
1: And we'll see you right back here next time.
0: Bye! Thanks for checking in.
2: It was a blast sharing our thoughts and
1: ideas on our time.
0: We hope that you had a great time with us and could hardly wait to share the next show.
1: In the meantime, let us know how you handled this topic in your own games. You can find us on most social media platforms, especially Twitter.
0: Facebook, and Instagram. And if you want to follow us, search for Seize the GM.
1: And if you just want to follow one of us, search for our names on the social media platform of your choice, or go to SeizeTheGM.com for convenient links.
2: Seize the GM is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial share 4.0 International License. All copyrighted material referenced herein are held by the respect. Owners. No infringement intended and no claim of ownership
0: Once again, thanks to you, our listeners.
1: We hope you gained some ideas for your ongoing games.
0: Or the inspiration of when first. you first. Now get out there and play some games.
1: Roll some dice.
2: Be safe and you'll hear from us again soon.